uh, through prayer or uh, physically. Um, first, I am so glad today, 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 today is our first meeting for Sockham students. Woo! So Sockham students, we will be meeting right here in the worship center at 3 p.m. today to get started and find out what God wants to do um, in this new season of equipping and um, reaching uh, out into the world uh, like a mustard seed. I'm so excited to see the kingdom come in that. So we'll see you there for that. Um, also, this week, Faith Followers starts up for 2024. Faith Followers, our third through fifth graders, will be meeting downstairs in the kids' wings uh, for a discipleship um, the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month, and this Wednesday is that beginning for 2024, so we'll see our third through fifth graders at 6.30 for Faith Followers this week. Also, want to let you know to save the date, mark on your calendar, January 28th. January 28th, right here in the Worship Center, Faith will be hosting a worship night um, open uh, to everyone at Faith and the community. We were just really excited. It's going to be a worship and a ministry night, and we'll get you more details on that, but wanted to get that date on your calendar, January 28th. Um, you're not going to want to miss that, so we will see you there for that. And also, this weekend, our youth, Faith Youth, is heading to the Strength to Stand Conference in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So I would just ask you to be in prayer for them about that. We have seen God meet our youth in incredible ways on some of these trips. Um, and spirit encounters and um, salvations and all kinds of beautiful um, things of the Lord. So please be in prayer for them. They leave this weekend. So we want to um, encourage them on their way. And lastly this morning... Our ministry team up here in the front row is um, Stephanie and Lloyd Bell and Deborah Thomas. They are available for prayer um, during reflection time towards the end of service as always. But I also want you to know that during our worship time, when we're bringing our, our praise and worship to the Lord um, through song, and movement, you are welcome to come and, and ask for prayer um, and meet the Lord with them uh, during that time as well. So they're up in the front. You're welcome to do that. And also the altar is always open for you as well to, to meet with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. Well, at this point, if you guys would stand with me as we get our, our, our bodies and our minds and our eyes focused on the Lord, um, we're going to go to him in prayer. <sighs> come, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Jesus, you said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy, and I will give you rest. Come to me, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Holy Spirit, we are here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will empower our desire to come to Jesus, to encounter Jesus. And God, as we come, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, Father, your presence, your very presence, God, that your presence would invade every dark place that might be found among your people, Lord, that your light, your life, God, your light and your life would usurp any place that has been touched by the enemy, that has had his presence there, God. I pray that your light would invade that place and take it over for your glory, God. That your glory, 
would saturate us, both for us, God, in us and through us, that your glory would be made known. God, let your glory be made known for us and through us. Father, help us, equip us, God, to let your light in every dark place this morning, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let it be so. Hallelujah. So Isaiah 40 uh, has a a passage of scripture that we're all pretty familiar with, but I want to read it and I want to declare something over us. So after the Lord says, uh, Jerusalem has been judged and he is drawing them back in and giving them his favor. He declares this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. All right, so who do we know fulfilled this? Who is that voice in the, in the wilderness that cried out? It was fulfilled in John the Baptist, but it is being fulfilled today in us. So I declare today and I proclaim a spirit of John over this group of people that worships, that we would be that voice in the wilderness and in the darkness. I love it, Lord, when you're talking about the light, the Lord's doing something there. But we're going to be that voice and we're going to be those lives that go out. And we are going to prepare the way of the Lord in 2024. In 2024, let's let the lion roar. Let him out. Let him out, church. Let's sing and let's worship him. God of Jacob, great I am, King of angels, Son of man, voice of many waters, song of heaven's throne, louder than the thunder, make your glory known.
the way, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the mountain, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the mountain, prepare the way of the declared and proclaimed, God, I pray that we would prepare the way through prayer, that we would prepare the way through praise, that we would prepare the way through righteous and holy and pure living, that we would prepare the way through a bold testimony, God. Lord, may your voice be the voice that is loud this year. Not our voice, but your voice echoing in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to read a passage of scripture to you. Um, from the book of Colossians as, a, as an introduction to this, to this song. It says, Jesus is the invis- image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And that word preeminent means first, supreme, highest. And so we just declare 
this morning that Jesus is over everything.
The sound of heaven this morning, declaring your greatness, declaring your power, declaring your goodness, God. This is who you are. Amen. So this morning as we were in pre-service prayer, I was watching people walk around, and there were multiple people today who stopped in these windows. And if you look on this side, the sun was really bright coming in this morning over here on this side. And there were people, and I saw them letting the light of Christ in. It's like, Lord, consume me in your light. And going back to Isaiah, we all know the verse, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen up on you. And that's a declaration for believers. Your light has come. We just, we just sang about it all during uh, Christmas. And it's in you, and it's on you. And now it's our goal to let the light shine. So I want to give you a, a challenge in 2024. Will your worship look any different? And I don't just mean, yeah, we're worshiping all the time, but will your worship look any different when you gather with us? Are you going to step out and go, okay, God, I'm going to take more risks this year. I'm going to start coming to pre-service prayer. You know, and instead of this being my dance, this is going to be my dance. And if this is my dance, then this is going to be my dance. You Take it to the next level. God doesn't want us to stay where we are. Let the light of Christ in. Let it consume you. Let it, let it just shine through you. Whatever that means for you, it's going to be different for each of us. But I hear the Spirit say, it's time.
Scriptures declare the glory. The earth declares the glory. Our lives declare the glory of the Lord. Father, as, as King of glory, reside with your people. Reside with your people. Speak to us through your word. As we acknowledge your eminence and your power and your goodness. God, as we as we look, as we look now to what you have in store, align our hearts with what you're doing and thinking and saying so we don't miss what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. There's going to be no Bible study for the month of January. I apologize for not saying that last week because I know a couple people showed up and somebody came in my office to yell at me. No, um, he was very kind. Um, but uh, no Bible study for January. You'll be getting some verses. We do 50 weeks in the Word, so you'll be getting some verses um, in uh, another week as we get into it, uh, into 2024. And as we get into 2024, uh, we're starting off for this week and next. We're talking about vision, mission, and focus. Uh, you can see the big words, but you probably can't see the smaller words there. Vision is what the world looks like when God moves. Our mission is what kind of people we are. And our focus is what 2024 holds for Faith Church. This morning, we're going to talk about vision and mission. Next week, we'll talk about focus for 2024, so be with us for that. And I'm going to talk about vision and mission statements this morning, and that could be really dry and really boring, and my hope is that it's not really dry and really boring, um, but I, we need to understand the difference between vision and mission, right? And so I'm going to give you an example with something that we all have at least a little bit of tie to. I'm talking about New Year's resolutions and how... Uh, if I had people raise hands, I bet 50% of people would be like, is your New Year's resolution to get healthier, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of hands would go up. Mine is to lose weight, right? I'm overweight right now. I don't like it. And so uh, if I had a vision for my New Year's resolution, it would be this. It would be lose weight to improve every aspect of my life to stop snoring so I don't get winded when I jog upstairs or do anything like that. So lose weight to improve every aspect of my life. That's like the vision, right? If everything goes right, that's what I want to do. And then the mission is, okay, but how are you going to do that, right? So I came up with three things because if you're in church culture, every church has a three-step mission statement. Everyone, 
Like it's, it's uh, no, grow, send, right? Or, and so I'll tell you the story in a second uh, about why, about that. But so mine would be grow, ha- grow habits of healthy eating, exercise, and fasting. Like that's what I want to do. And if I do those things, if I'm successful in my mission, then what I have is my vision will come about by me being faithful to my mission. Does that make sense? Thank you. I'm glad Pam understands it. Okay, so when I talk about vision, this is a statement describing the clear and inspirational long-term desire change in the world because of Faith Church. When we think about Faith Church and we think about the world, what impact on the world do we want Faith Church to have? In other words, what does the future look like if we as a church live out our mission? Normally, I have a set passage that I go through, and then we kind of break that down, but this week, I'm just going to be throwing more verses in as we go, and in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Here's what can become a problem with a church that does not have a clear vision and a clear mission, right? And this happens in churches our size all the time. Right, where somebody says, I want to do this ministry. I think it's great. And then the pastor, not wanting to offend somebody that they know or not wanting to lose somebody because they get mad and they'll go start a ministry at another church, just says yes. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes up and says, hey, I want to do this. And the pastor just says yes. And all of a sudden, the church is doing 20 different things, not doing any of them well, and seeing no results, Every, all the volunteers are burnt out and tired, and everybody's looking around, why is this happening? Because there has to be a uniting, united vision that tells us where we're going and what we want to do. So if you come up with me, come up to me with a, a hope for a, a new ministry, you better have how does it fit into the vision and mission of Faith Church already written down and ready to go, or else I'm just going to say no. And I'm only half joking on that. The mission. This is our central, essential reason or purpose for existing. It answers the question, how do we see our vision accomplish? If we want to see the vision happen, what do we do to get there? And if we continue on mission, empowered by the Spirit, then we can see our vision happen. Like the vision isn't going to happen unless we stay on mission. And generally, vision statements do not change, but mission statements do. So the vision statement, for as long as I'm pastor here, will be the same, and I'm presented in just a few minutes, it will be the same, it will be what carries this church. But if I'm going to also present the mission statement, so if we get the mission statement and in a couple years we look back and say, hey, is the vision happening? No, okay, are we doing our mission? Yes, but is it the right mission? And we might need to rethink things, right? We're not going to be stuck in a rut of doing the same thing if it's not working, if it's not effective. We're not going to be doing the things that God is not doing. We want to constantly be lined up with him. And so in October, I sent all this information to our elders, and uh, and we were going to meet uh, and have this planning session for like 2024, and I had the agenda kind of in my head about what I wanted to do and how much time I wanted to spend on it, and then, um, 
And then I was like, all right, I kind of had the framework for a vision and the framework for a mission statement. And I thought, we'll just spend a half hour tweaking it and we'll get it all set to go. And we spent two hours on it. We're literally, I'm like drawing things on the whiteboard. There's triangles and arrows and we're like dissecting every word. Like, does this word make sense or does this word make sense more? And to throw a wrench in, I, I texted the elders this morning and was like, hey, guys, does this word work better here than, it, than this word that we have? Because as soon as I put it in my notes, I can't change it, right? Because I just said vision statements do not change, Okay. <laughs> And so we had a, and I was like, sorry for starting your morning off like that, guys. But we went over it, we dissected it, we wrote it different ways. But here's the vision. And remember, the vision is a statement describing the clear and inspirational long-term desire change in the world because of our church. So we want to see a world where the kingdom of God is advanced through the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. That's always going to be our aim always what we want to do, to see the world starting here, going out into communities, to cities, to the, the, the world, a world where the kingdom of God is advanced through the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So here's three things that I want you to take note of in this, in this vision statement. There's the emphasis on the triune God of Scripture. It's the kingdom of God the Father, sparked by the love of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. Right? We, we can't be a church that, has, uh, that doesn't have a, a full vision of who God is and who God is in our midst working among us. So we were careful to make sure that there is God the Father, the love of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. The next thing is that the kingdom of God is something that advances and grows in our world. It doesn't happen by, by happenstance. It doesn't just occur by happenstance. It's advancing. It is an active push. If there is an, if, if, if somehow Canada was going to invade the United States and you heard on the news, there is an army advancing towards the United States, would you think that they're just sitting still thinking, man, I hope the United States gets overthrown somehow. These guns are nice and all, but can't, Canadians don't have guns, right? right? They're being taken away. Uh, but when you hear of advancing, you're, they're encroaching on territory that maybe does not belong to them and they're going to take it by force because the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence take it by force. Right, so the kingdom of God is something that advances and grows. And the third thing is that love and power are inextricably linked to fulfill the vision. If you have just love, that's all really good. And you'll have a church that's just like, yes, we feel really good every time we get here and everybody hugs me. But if there's no power, then you're just, uh, just going to be someone who feels a lot of emotions but can't do anything with them. Then if you're, just, uh, if you're just relying on power but you don't have love, you don't have the spark for power. Like love is the thing that gets the engine of power going. It is the key that turns over the engine. 
And so as, as people of God, we have to have both love and both power. It's how Jesus operated. How many times in scripture do you see him moved by his compassion and his love and his emotions and then he feeds people or he heals people or he casts a demon out of somebody? They're linked together in ways that cannot be separated. So we're, I, I'm gonna go through three things really quickly in this statement. The kingdom of God, the love of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. And I'm gonna go through it somewhat quickly because it's review for most of you, okay? I've taught several hours on the kingdom of God and how Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth during his earthly ministry. And in fact, the kingdom of God was his core teaching. He taught about the kingdom of God more than he taught about anything else. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus is starting his public ministry, and it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So if I'm going to take it to what gospel actually means... Uh, it's, it's more, it goes beyond, Jesus' gospel went beyond personal salvation. It was a gospel of a new reality invading the earth. So gospel means good news. And so if we put this in, in, in more literal terms, it says, now Jesus was after, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. It is time right now and the kingdom of God is right here, so repent and believe in that good news. What good news? That the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of God is here, ushered in by the person of Jesus. And it includes personal salvation, but we limit kingdom activity to just personal salvation to our detriment. It's far beyond that. It is Jesus announcing things were one way. They were a certain way, but now they're changed. The world operated and was under one power, but now it's going to operate and be under another power. It is bigger than just us. We know that the kingdom is an already but not yet reality. Hebrews 2, speaking of Jesus. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Everything is under the control of Jesus, and yet we don't see everything in control. It's already under control, but not yet fully realized. But how does this even work? How does this even happen? Because Jesus died. Because part of this good news of the new reality, part of this gospel of the kingdom is that the king himself came to die. That he himself came to taste death for everyone. Therefore, the gospel is available for everyone because he tasted death for everyone. You ever uh, been around, been out to eat, been somewhere new to eat, maybe at someone's house, maybe at a restaurant, and you get something on your plate and you don't want to taste it? That's weird. I don't like it. So you turn to your spouse or person you're eating with, your kid, hey, you taste this and tell me if it's okay. 
and then you gauge their reaction. Jesus tasted death, so you don't have to. Jesus ate the Brussels sprouts so you could pass on them. Just believe that he ate them, and it's good. You get the nutrients. I didn't plan that. That's weird. All right. As followers of Jesus, we are instructed to pray that the kingdom realities of heaven break into earth as we are now commissioned to advance the kingdom of God through earth. Matthew 6.10, in the, in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are two truths that we see very simply here. One is that the kingdom isn't fully here and wasn't fully here with Jesus. It was just inaugurated. So we see that it's not fully here yet. But the second thing is, is that it's possible for it to keep breaking in. God, the way things are working up there, have them work down here. The way that the kingdom operates in the heavenly places, let it operate here on earth through your people. And then we're commissioned. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the commands of Jesus, the things that, if he's telling them, teach, you, teach them the things that I taught you, what did he teach them? He taught them the gospel of the kingdom. They took the, the message and the, the actions of the kingdom out to the world. So this is the kingdom of God. And we want to see it advanced through the love of Jesus. Jesus' mission was sparked by love. It was the, the initial spark of it. He was moved by love. The cross was born of love, and we are to be motivated by love as we advance the kingdom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the thing that God, that, that, that initiated God giving us Jesus, right? I looked up the word gave because I had a, a wild theory about the word and then I looked it up in the Greek and my theory was completely wrong. But, you know, that's what I do. I chase theories everywhere. And, but I looked it up and I looked at the definition and gave can mean anointed or commissioned. So it could just as easily read, for God so loved the world that he anointed his only son, that he commissioned his only son. But the spark of that anointing and that commissioning was love. Jesus looked into the world that he had created and he saw the despair, he saw the hopelessness, he saw Satan having too big of a stranglehold on the world and out of love for what he saw, not out, of, uh, not out of some misplaced anger, not out of, uh, not out of some uh, overworn pity. But he looked and he says, I love what I created. I love the people that I created. And so to restore things back to order that they might live with me forever, Jesus, you are commissioned and anointed to go. And so Jesus did exactly that. And then he told his disciples, look, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 
By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. How did Jesus love you? Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So in John 13, Jesus says, you have to love each other. You have to love them, uh, and people will know that you follow me and that you're my people because you love one another. And then he tells them how he loves. Well, I'm going to show you the greatest love of all when I go to the cross. I'm going to show you the greatest love of all when I lay down who I am and the reality of who I am, and I give myself up on the cross for you. And it goes all the way back to John 3.16, so that if you believe that Christ did that for you and that he rose again, then you have eternal life with him. And then we're motivated by love. We love because he first loved us. So when you run up against somebody, and we all have people in our lives that are hard to love, that we see them and we just think, oh, I hope they don't talk to me. Because every time they talk to me, do they have to come to Thanksgiving? I'm not sure that they do. And every time we feel that, we're supposed to step back and say, I'm supposed to love them. But there's, and then we'll argue, but they're so unlovable and they do so many bad things and they don't listen to me ever and they do that and this and this and this and this. And then the, the, the response to that is God simply saying, yeah, but Jesus loved you first. And then you go and you pout and you fake your way through it and that's okay. The kingdom of God grows through the love of Jesus and that is linked to the power of the Spirit. And when we were going through this, I said, I want this part of the, of the vision statement to reflect a reality that not every church could say. That not every church operates in the power of the Spirit the way that we operate in the power of the Spirit. And so uh, this is not to bash any particular church or um, any particular ministry, but we want the power of God to be, the power of the Spirit to be displayed here in ways that it is not displayed in the average church that you would walk into anywhere in America. We don't want the power of our spirit to come from smoke machines and big charismatic speakers but we want, the, the, as we had strived to advance the kingdom through the love of Jesus, we only believe that it's possible through the power of the Spirit because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus, compelled by the Spirit, goes to get tempted. Jesus, sent by the Spirit, then goes to preach. Jesus, uh, commissioned by the Spirit. Jesus, being used by the Spirit, casts out demons and says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The advancing kingdom of God was marked by three main things. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, healing, and the casting out of demons. So as faith church advances the kingdom of God, we do so by the power of the same Holy Spirit with the same works. 
Here's what Paul says. Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead resides in you. Like the the same power that took Jesus three days wrapped in burial linens, went down to Tartarus and was doing some crazy stuff down there. And then the Spirit says, by my power, you're going to come back up. You're going to be fully revived. You're going to cast off the burial cloths. You're going to fold them up neatly and put them on your resting place. The stone's going to be rolled away for you and you're going to walk out. And we And we count that as the greatest miracle ever because it is. And the same power there is in you. And he will give you life. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. For it is the power of God to salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in Paul's mind, the gospel can't just mean salvation. Because the gospel empowers salvation. Do you see that? Do you understand that? That we conflate the gospel with personal salvation, but Paul says, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus being Lord and King and coming to earth and dying for us, empowers your salvation to everyone who believes. This is the power of the Spirit. Jesus, and so uh, the power is seen in three things. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus is going to go preach because that's why he was sent, and he's going to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And then when he starts to teach, everybody's amazed, and they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands every, even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And then Jesus went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So healing's a part of the kingdom. And he tells his followers, he says, go to a city, heal everybody in it, and when you do, tell them that the kingdom of God came near to you. And then he says, but if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the power of the Spirit extends to casting out of demons. So the vision of faith is a world where the kingdom of God is advanced through the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we make that a reality? And I came into the elders meeting in October and I said, I don't want a mission statement that has three things. Every mission statement has three things. Why? Because all the pastors read all the same books about mission statements, right? You want to know where to get a mission statement? Go read the book Simple Church. It's about a decade old, but it still kind of holds up. And that book was given out, right? You, uh, if we go to like uh, like certain discipleship conferences and things that they're giving out all these books. And Simple Church was one of those books for all the pastors to read. So I came in and I said, I don't want a three-pronged mission statement, but I'm gonna give you a three-pronged mission statement, all right? <laughs> so 
because I don't always get what I want. <laughs> and this, it just, it works. The mission at Faith is growing followers of Jesus that know, experience, and partner with God. So if we know, experience, and partner with God, then we believe that the kingdom of God will be advanced through the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Okay, but we have to become people. So if we faithfully grow these types of followers, the kingdom will be advanced. It will go out. And so then when I sat down with the staff in November and we started to like calendar out events and things that we were doing, I had presented the vision and the mission and we said, okay, everything we do, it has to, it has to fall in the categories of knowing God, experiencing God, or partnering with God. Has to, it, has to, it has to encompass one of those spaces not only one, it could be all of them, right? But we want to know, experience, and partner with God. Sockham starts, the School of Kingdom Ministry starts this afternoon at three o'clock. It's the highest level of our discipleship right now because it encompasses all of these three things. We're gonna know God, we're going to experience him, and then we're going to learn how to partner with him. We want to know him. So Sockham students, we'll see you at 3 o'clock up here this afternoon. But we want to know. I love this verse in Jeremiah 9, these verses in Jeremiah 9. Thus the Lord said, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For, these, for in these things I delight, declares the, word, the Lord. The word there in the Greek for know, and yes, I know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but I went off the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. The Greek word for know in Jeremiah chapter nine is gnosko, and it's a deep knowing. Imagine I was being interviewed, and the interviewer asked me, you have a wife, do you love your wife? Yes, I love my wife. Why do you love her? Well, my wife is 5'9". She has blondish hair and green eyes. She doesn't, uh, she grew up in, she was born in Fresno, California, but grew up mainly in the Bay Area. She went to Los Altos High. She was a drama geek. She, uh, she didn't used to like to read, but now she likes to read a little bit more. Um, she has two kids and she's my wife. I just kind of recited off some facts. Does that, do, do, I, do I know her because I know facts about her? A lot of you knew not, if not all, most of those facts about my wife. But I know my wife in ways that you never will. <laughs> That's what that knowing is. 
It's that deep connection. And so we don't boast in our might and our riches or in our wisdom, but we boast because we know. Not just reciting facts, but we know that deepness of who God is and what he does. He is a God of steadfast love and justice and righteousness, and he delights in those things. And this is the knowledge that leads to eternal life. And this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So it goes back to to the love sparking everything. The love sparks eternal life. And now how do we, by knowing God, there are people all over the place that can recite some facts from the Bible, but they don't know God. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you can recite facts about the Bible, but you don't know God. It's an invitation to come into something deeper here. And it can't just be reciting facts because knowing God is an act of the Spirit, and I can recite facts without the Spirit. Right, and so uh, Paul says in a long prayer, I just took one verse out of this long prayer. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So to know in there is that there needs to be a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A God that the Spirit reveals and gives us wisdom about who God is. So we grow followers of Jesus that know. We also want to experience God. Because that experience helps us know. Like these are all intertwined as well. These experiences help us know. To experience God is to move beyond the head knowledge. And when I say experience God, it's to encounter him in a tangible way. And there are places that the Bible tells us that we encounter God. There are certain things that we can do so that we know, and when we do those things, we know that God is there with us in some way, shape, or form. Scriptures are a place where if you open it up, God's always there because they're all God-breathed. It's living and it's active, and God is living and active in us. So when we open our scriptures, we meet with God and we encounter him there. The spiritual gifts are places of experience. Right? I, can, I can tell you, hey, here's what a word of knowledge means. It means somebody uh, having, uh, they know a fact about you or a situation that they have no other way of knowing unless Jesus Christ and the Spirit told them about this piece of knowledge. And I can tell you that, but then it's so much different when somebody comes up to you and tells you something, hey, here's something that God told me about you. And then you hear what they say, and it's the prayer that you spoke the night before. Or it's the thing that you've been struggling with for years that you've kept hidden. 
The spiritual gifts are places of experience. Gathering together as believers allows us to experience his presence. Because where we are gathered, he is there. God resides in the praises of his people. So every time we sing and we worship, God is here. I don't really like the song, God is here. Jared hit a wrong note again. God is here. Sorry, Jared, I knew you could handle it, though. I didn't want to shatter anybody else's confidence. The words weren't up on the screen in time. God is here. The God of the universe is here, and we're like, I don't like this song. And God's just like, do you like me? You you don't got to sing. But where's your mind going to go? Remember that if I ever have to lead worship again, okay? Just remember that. There's baptism. There's the Lord's table, which we call uh, communion, but I, I call the Lord's table. I meant to put an et cetera there. At the end, there's other places in Scripture where there's guaranteed encounter with God. And so this is, these are the ways and the places where we experience him. And finally, we want to partner with the Holy, we want to partner with God in what he is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we partner with God because the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Heavens? God's going to do his stuff up there. Earth? God's saying, you do it, and I'll be there helping you. You do it, and I've given you authority, and I've commissioned you to do it, but it's yours. So you get it, you take it, you go. Heavens are the Lord, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So when then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, while what happened, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. God can and sometimes will do it all himself. It is the the ultimate truth of the universe that God does not need you. God does not need me. God does not need Faith Church. And yet, for his glory and for our good and for our deep experience of him, he wants to work with us. He worked with them. How? They went out and told it, and then he did it. They went out and confirmed. They went out and proclaimed, and God confirmed everything through accompanying signs. It's also in Hebrews, and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, look, working together with him, God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So Paul is acknowledging here, we are working together with God. God's not, like God does the stuff that we can't do, all right? So, so don't, 
So, so don't think that I'm saying that we do the things that God does. Like, I, we can't heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. God does that. But I pray. John Wesley said that God does nothing in response except to that which is a response to fervent prayer. God does not move except in response to fervent prayer. That's what John Wesley said, and I paraphrased that. And so if we're partnering with God, we want to partner with him the way that Jesus did. And Jesus is our ultimate example of only doing what the Father's doing. Jesus says, I only do what the Father does, and if the Father's not doing it, I can't do anything. And then Jesus tells his disciples, you, you come with me, you sit with me, you abide in me, because if you're not abiding in me, you can't do anything. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It's the same thing. Jesus needed to abide with the Father, and then empowered by the Spirit, he went out and did what he saw his Father doing, preaching, healing, casting out of demons, feeding the uh, feeding the hungry, lifting up the poor and the destitute. And then we, by the same token, say we are abiding in Jesus so that empowered by the Spirit, we go and we partner with God. Because Jesus doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He tells us. He gives us what we need to make this partnering a reality. He tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to go, and it's better if I go because you get the Holy Spirit. I always marvel at that. Jesus is there. He's there with Peter. He's there with Thomas, and he's there with Nathaniel, and he's there with all these people who have relied on him. And he says, it's good. It's better if I go because then you get the Holy Spirit. I was watching a, a video recently, and I so want to do it with our kids. Maybe we will. But I was watching a video where they do that experiment with the kids where they sit them down on, uh, uh, in the chair, and they have the table, and the camera's there, and they tell the kid, hey, um, you get one marshmallow right now, or you get, uh, you get one Skittle or something, but if you wait till I come back, I'm going to give you more, right? And the video I saw, I was doing it with kids who are too young to really understand that. They were like two, two and a half, maybe three. And they're telling them, and it's two, I think they're brothers because they really look alike. And the parent leaves the room and one brother looks at the other and they just kind of make this face. And they're like, yeah, yeah, boom. Just take it, start eating all that's there. Because they thought it was better what was in front of them, but they would have gotten so much more had they waited. And Jesus tells the disciples that exact same thing. It's really good that I'm here, but it's actually better if I go because you're gonna get something so much better. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're gonna get something so much greater than just me next to you. The Spirit's gonna be inside you. And then we, I, you, we use this term partner very specifically because the church suffers and has suffered when partnering with God only means evangelism. That's the best that, that Western Christianity largely gives its people. You want to partner with God? Go share your faith. Look, you can fact check me on this. There is no command anywhere for every believer to share their faith in Scripture. 
Read the New Testament. You won't find it. In fact, there's, there's people who are extra gifted at going out and sharing their faith. Right? They're called what? Evangelists. Now, what the scripture does say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says that if somebody asks you about it, be prepared to tell them for the reason for the hope that's in you. But 1 Peter 3.15 doesn't say, hey, go ahead and start up all these conversations. Not that that's a bad thing. And maybe we should all be striving for that. But if I'm sitting here with a group of however many we have here and whoever many are listening, and I say, hey, the only way for you to partner with God is evangelism, how many is that really going to fire up? Two of you? Maybe? Partnering with God is, is more than that. It's about doing what he wants to do in that moment. And in that moment, he might not be saving someone. Jesus did all sorts of miracles. He performed miracles and he cast out demons where people don't come to salvation, but God was still doing that in the moment. Maybe they came to salvation, but we, we don't know. Like the Syrophoenician woman comes up to him and says, my daughter has a demon and she needs help. And he gives her the, the dogs and the table and she says, yes, but there's crumbs. And he says, okay, your daughter's saved. It doesn't say that she goes away saved in the kingdom or that the daughter does. We don't know. The Roman centurion or uh, there's other Roman uh, encounters that God has where miracles are happening. We don't have uh, any confirmation that anybody came to Christ, but God was still doing it. And, 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 and what happens with the church is that there's people who aren't gifted evangelists trying to evangelize, and nothing ever happens. And so they become discouraged. <laughs> I have literally cast out spirits from multiple people who have sat in front of me saying, I am no good to God unless I convert people. And I heard that and I said, oh, I know what that is. False religious spirit come out of them. <laughs> Multiple people. Because they've been fed, all you're good for is sharing your faith. And if you don't do that, you're not, you're not doing what God wants you to do. But we need to learn how to partner with God in every situation. You know, he might be healing your cashier at Food Lion, but you won't know it unless you ask, and then you pray, and then you step out. He might be saving your neighbor, but he, and he wants you to go over there and tell him about the love of Jesus. I was just chuckling with somebody about when Adam Farr shared a few months ago where he's banging on the bathroom stall because he felt a spirit of death in this person. Right? We need to learn how to be partners with God in every situation. We should continually ask God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing in this moment? Are you saving somebody? Hallelujah, amen, I'm ready to see a miracle. Do you just want them to know that you're real and that you see them right now? Yes. 
and then and then we get by uh, when we're ineffective in evangelism. Here's why it's important because when we're ineffective as evangelism, we, we just try to say things like, "Oh, we're just planting seeds. We're just planting seeds." No, you're not. You know what planted seeds are in, in scripture? People who are saved. You're sowing seeds. So change your language. Be precise in your speech. That's just something that annoyed me this week when I was thinking about this. What? Apollos planted, God watered, and there was growth. Paul planted, God watered, and there was growth. This parable of the sower. Some didn't get planted, and they're swept away. The ones that produced fruit were the ones that planted and grew. So we ask ourselves, we step back, and we say, okay, God, what are you doing right now in this moment? It might be saving somebody, and I hope that it is. But man, it might be healing somebody. It might be encouraging somebody. Maybe you have a gift of mercy, and so God in that moment is buying the groceries for the woman in front of you that has three screaming kids, and her debit card keeps getting rejected. And your gift says, oh, no, this is what God's doing, but I don't know if I have the money, God. And God's like, don't worry, I do. God, what are you doing right now? Vision and mission. Our vision is a world where the kingdom of God is advanced through the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. This narrows our focus. This, this says, okay, this is, this is what we are striving for. So many mission and vision statements are about, here's one thing that I meant to point out at the beginning, so many mission and vision statements are about growing that particular church. Look, honestly, if in six months we had 500 people in here, I'd probably hand in my letter of resignation. Like, I'm not capable of that. I don't have the capacity for that. Two, 300, yes and amen. But if we get up to 500, I'm like, half of you got to go. <laughs> like, we'll start a church over there. We'll find somebody to lead of it, but half of you got to go. I'll go start it. You guys get somebody else here. But we're about the kingdom. We're about the kingdom. It's bigger than our church. And we want to grow followers that, of Jesus that know experience and partner with God because the kingdom is bigger than any church, faith included. But here's what I pray. The great hope is that we have an outsized impact for our kingdom, for the kingdom, not our kingdom, the kingdom, (laughs) that we have an outsized impact, that the sum of who we are is greater than our parts. Think about, the, think about the 12. Cowards, doubters, deniers, all these people, violent, right? And here we are today because of them. There was only 12, but the effect of their work, the effect of what they did was far bigger than just tw- what 12 people could do on their own. So when we think about the 125 that come to faith church, we are saying, okay, God, we know what you could just, we could just do on our own, but man, what can we do if God's with us? 
and have the impact be bigger and greater than just the sum of our parts. That's, that's why we're the body. That's why it, it, we work together. After the apostles have been kicked out, says this, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We want to speak the word with boldness and ask God to stretch out his hand to heal and perform signs and wonders by the power and the name of Jesus. And we want to be filled with the spirit, right? These are people who are already saved, who already had the experience, who already went through Acts chapter 2, but they're filled again to what? To speak the word of God with all boldness so we continue all of these things, if you'll stand with me. If you're hearing this, you have a part. If you're hearing this, you can have a role. If you've been here two weeks, if you've been here for 20 years, there's places, there's roles, there's ways for you to know God, to encounter and experience him, and to partner with him. So how can God use you to fulfill the vision and mission of Faith Church? How will God use you? Father, You are so good to us. Holy Spirit, come as we wait on you. multiple people it might be on both sides but God's really highlighting this side that there are multiple people saying can it all be possible can it all be real like does God really want me to know and love him like that does God really want me to partner with him like that I feel so far from him turned my back so many times I'm struggling with this thing over and over I feel like my life is in ruins 
lovingly whispering to you, it's all real. It's all for you. It's there. Just grab it. Take it. Take our ambitions and our desires and conform them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
tell God that we're asking him to metaphorically let it rain and to not open the floodgates. I did not enjoy the rain yesterday. Yeah. But Lord, <laughs> rain your spirit. Yeah. Just physical rain. Yes. Chill out. Let it rain, Glad you were here with us this morning. Sockham students, we start at 3 o'clock. We'll see you this afternoon. Yeah. The rest of you will see you soon. God bless. <laughs>